Emily, how are you? Fine, how are you? Great, good to see you. So, September 12th, it was Katherine Hepburn's New York City debut, 1928. Broadway? Her stage debut, yes, yeah. in, the, in Night Hostess, which is about like gambling or something. And then 1935 was Howard Hughes flies his own design plane. The, oh, and like they boned. So it's yeah. kind of relevant. <laughs> exactly. Yes. I'm, this so, is an unpopular opinion. I'm not a huge fan of Catherine Hepburn. I mean, I just think maybe she doesn't hold up. Like she seems like kind of, her acting seems rather like wooden to me. Does that make sense? I think I only like the look of her. Yeah. Like her style and like her, her, her look. I don't necessarily like the movie yeah. she's done or anything like that. And I think she's very, I like that she's kind of tomboyish almost in a weird way. Like she's still like, yeah. she's still beautiful and everything, but like she has like a cool, like she wore pants, loved to wear pants, like in an era when yeah. like women didn't really wear pants. And she was doing like boy shooting yeah. or doing like that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah. so Howard Hughes flies his own H1 racer plane and crash landed. I think then he crash landed all his planes. Was that the one where he crashed into Beverly Hills and uh, Beverly Hills house and got hurt? Like he no, was injured. He, he, oh. he didn't get hurt. I don't think the plane got that hurt, but he broke some kind of like speed record with that one. But then I was reading about him and I thought, you know, cause he had all these like famous lovers, Catherine yeah. Edward, as an example, but Jean Tierney, who I think <gasps> I love her just the prettiest and you've seen leave her to heaven, right? Yes. I saw that at the Turner classic movies film festival. It was so God, fun. I love that. movie. I made Jake watch that movie. Yeah. It's just great. Her, but just her and that Femme fatale. Movie. With the sunglasses on, she's watching his crippled brother drown. Hey, spoiler alert. <laughs> hey, you see it coming a mile away. She's um, one of the most beautiful actors in Hollywood. And she was so beautiful. She was she great. Had a little bit, she had a little bit of an overbite, didn't she? Yeah, she kind of had like, yeah, she was like a, a, yeah, like a toothy but, uh, smile. She was just beautiful. So you know the sad story about her, right? Well, she gets exposed to um, Rubella, I guess. And it's it the most fucked up thing that that fan like runs up to her backstage right? at like yes. a USO event and it throws her arms around her. And then the fan ends up admitting it. Yeah, she's like, I broke quarantine to see you. I have German measles, but I broke quarantine to see you. If you get German measles when you're pregnant, it severely, severely injures the fetus. Yeah, so her daughter was... De- blind yeah. and deaf and Howard Hughes paid for all the medical bills for that child. Like any kind of care, um, like forever took care of that baby. Oh, that's it, nice. Yeah. Any, any expense for that child, he took care of it. Um, he's kind of an odd duck though. Dude. Oh God. So weird. The, the Kleenex boxes, wearing Kleenex boxes on his feet. <laughs> well, I mean, I shouldn't be, mo- he has mental, I'm not going to laugh at like <laughs> mental health. It, I'm just picturing Mr. Burns portraying him and the <laughs> Simpsons. And- yeah. I mean, he's got a lot of, Plenty of snippets that are uh, OCD. Kinda. It's just so sad. And um, I mean, this child was so disabled. She was in lifetime, a lifetime of in a care home, which is just so sad. But I also want to point out that if you're an Agatha Christie fan, Agatha Christie was like so fascinated and moved by this story of Jean Tierney's baby that she wrote it, The Mirror Cracked. One of Agatha Christie's books, The Mirror Cracked, is based on that story. It's Jean Tierney, a famous woman, pregnant, exposed to someone who breaks quarantine to see her. And it's, you know, it's almost the same story, essentially. So yeah, no, I do have something from um, September 12th, 1910. The first known female police officer is appointed in the United States by Los Angeles City Council and the Los Angeles mayor. That is September 12th, 1910. And that's Alice Stebbins Wells. 
she had done research, I guess, in her schooling, like in her grad school, that made a very strong argument that, that female police officers would be valuable on any police force in any major city. That's wild. She worked hard to get a petition. Thousands of people supported her and um, she made it. And basically her like jurisdiction or whatever was public entertainment, recreation areas like skating rinks and oh. penny arcades and stuff like that. And I think one of the reasons asshole like chauvinist caved and hired her because there was actually a law recently passed that if a woman is arrested, she she should not be questioned by a male officer. So rather uh, than having just like an administrative female that's not an officer questioner, that it should be an actual police officer. So that was a big fucking deal. And we make a big deal about these like shattering, you know, ceilings and stuff, but like and, and barriers, but it really does happen because by 1912, there were three female police officers in the LAPD and there were female officers all over the country. So it became like, it slowly became the norm. Crazy. I wouldn't even ever think it would be that early. That's amazing to me. I'm sure her like, they gave her such shit. I don't even want to, I mean, have you seen, um, technically it's a mini series and it's British. It's starring, um, Helen Mirren. She's a detective prime suspect. You ever heard of it? I don't know if it was her breakthrough but role, but it was a big deal. And the first one is like 1990. And oh my God, the whole point of it is like female detective rising the ranks in um, London and so much sexism, just in general, like bigotry. 1990, I mean, that's, you know, it's a long time ago, but to me, it's bad even for 90. This Alice Stebbins Wells, police officer in 1910. Can you imagine what it was like if in 1990, like they were, and it's terrible. And her dress fighting crime. (laughs) Yeah, ridiculous. So do you have anything else for September 12th? Blue Velvet came out in 1986. Oh yes. You know, I've never seen that. I've tried to watch it. Weird, right? I can't say that I love David Lynch, but I love Twin Peaks. So I love him for that. So I was like, yeah, I'll try Blue Velvet. It's weird. It's so weird. David Lynch makes me feel stupid. I feel like it's, I don't get it. Yeah. He makes me just feel creepy. It's always weird. It's always something sexual and dark and fucked up and twisted. Yeah. And I mean, that's how I felt watching Twin Peaks, but at least that made me laugh too at the same time. Yeah. But Blue Velvet is just like, yeah, I tried a couple times and I can't get into it. It's too, it's too, too weird. I had the September 12, 1978 Taxi premieres, the show Taxi. Yeah, I saw that. That's right. I mean, I remember my dad watching Taxi, but that is one of those ones that like, as soon as I heard that theme song, uh, it was bedtime. I think I mentioned, yeah, MASH is on here for me. Yeah, that's right. MASH is it on September 17th. It was the beginning of the fall, so it was like end of summer reruns. I know that I've watched episodes of Taxi. I've never watched an episode of MASH. Oh, I'm the reverse. I think I maybe watched one episode of Taxi, but I watched a lot of MASH. MASH is great. I mean, it's everyone loves, loves MASH, but I don't think I ever... I actually liked the show MASH better than the movie. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie. I've never seen the movie. That's one of those shows that might actually still hold up. I don't know. But it's got some sad things to it, but it's very funny and... Mm-hmm. It's just really good. But Taxi won several Emmys throughout its five seasons, but including Danny DeVito, National Treasure. <laughs> he won an Emmy and a Golden Globe. And I love the theme song. It's called Angela. And I, I wanted to play it. But I don't want to get us sued, so I can't play it. But anyone listening can go to YouTube and look up the opening for Taxi. It's a very famous pan of a taxi crossing the bridge. The theme song's by a guy named Bob James. He's like one of the most sampled artists ever. It's jazz, but it's kind of that 70s movie score sounding jazz. It's not like cheesy jazz. It's it's really cool. Kind of funky. Chuck Mangione style? I don't know who that... I don't... That sounds familiar, oh, but... Oh, my God. <laughs> Like, I don't really know who that is. That sounds familiar, though. I wish I could play that song. Sounds right like a now. stripper. <laughs> oh, my God. He's like disco y sounding, 
Bob James. And he, he's very sampled. Like there's like a lot of like hip hop artists who like take snippets of Bob James and then like repeat it. And so he's got great stuff. But that theme song is awesome. It's called Angela. It's called Angela. And it's the theme song to Taxi. The only other thing I have is that we have the first African-American woman to go into space was September 12th, 1992. An astronaut and physician, Mae Jemison. She was uh, aboard the Endeavor. That's pretty cool. Really late. Only like 20, 20 years, a few decades late. But Female cops in 1910, but you're not getting any uh, African-American women. Long time to get into space. Yeah. <laughs> I have two things that are kind of a deep dive for September 13th. Well, yeah, I have a few things for September 13th. Lay it on me. Scooby-Doo, Where Are You debuts. Mm. In 1969 on CBS. I love Scooby-Doo. What I didn't know about that one was that you think of the classic opening credits with the spooky house and it's dark and it it comes in the bubble letters, but it was only two seasons. What? Did they come back? So they did the Scooby-Doo Where Are You premiered in 1969. It was only two seasons. And then they came out with this Scooby-Doo All-Stars in 1970. Is that the one with all the weird-ass guest stars like Phyllis Diller? And then (laughs) Scooby-Doo. And then... (laughs) The, the Harlem Globetrotters. The Harlem Globetrotters. What the fuck? <laughs> and then um, Scooby-Doo's show. So then they combined all those to end up being like three seasons. Yeah. yeah. So, but then, so Hanna-Barbera created it because they wanted to like counter the um, superheroes. They wanted something like nonviolent. Oh. Against all that superhero action stuff. And it was originally called The Mysterious Five. Oh, that's a cool name. And then the other name was Who's Scared? And then oh, they came up with... Um, that's lame. Yeah, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Which... Just call it Scooby-Doo. That's all we're in for. We're in for the talking dog. It's so great. My sister's daughter loves it. She's like in a, this big Scooby-Doo fan now. It's great. The biggest takeaway from Scooby-Doo is that you cannot trust real estate developers under, under any circumstances. <laughs> yeah, that's the whole thing. It's like every episode is the same. They're coming back from some teenage event car trouble and then they un, you know they, yeah. they investigate what appears to be paranormal the same people split off together yeah it's always Daphne what's her face loses her glasses the nerdy Thelma's one goes blind yeah. um, <laughs> my glasses Sco- <laughs> scooby and um shaggy are finding snacks and yeah. then um uh, uh <laughs> shaggy's doing more than finding snack he's he's high as a kite through the entire series <laughs> and then it's always you know i would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids. you meddling kids yeah it's great. It's, um, cla- it's it's classic. The Phyllis Diller Harlem Globetrotters ones were weird. Or like, remember when his country cousin would visit? Like, and then Scrappy Doo, his yeah. other cousin. Remember, we had a country yeah. cousin was like a dummy because the country. Yeah. yeah. All the country cousin tropes were always like the country cousin was like a dimwit, you know, like a slack jawed yokel. And then Scrappy Doo was there for a while. Yeah. He had like a very large family tree that they tapped into. Yeah, they're not as good as just the cut and dry Scooby Doo where I use. No, I have two other things. Okay. Not- 1990 Law & Order debuts, which is crazy to me because that show is still fucking on in every single spin-off. Bananas. There's like 14. There's a new one. I just was in traffic and I was like reading the billboard. It's the same two people, but another one, like there's, there's like, I can't even count them. Yeah. And then if you think about like how many celebrities had played a dead body on Law & Order. Usually if they're the guest star, they did it, right? That's like a dead giveaway. And then 1994 was ready to die. I didn't know if you were going to go through another deep dive for rap stars. Notorious B.I.G. Oh. 1994, which is crazy. I was in high school and I loved that freaking album. And I was yeah, yeah. white girl in the suburbs. He actually is a genius. Knowing the words to like drug dealing songs. 
was like 16, 17 years old. We were driving around. I was drinking Boone's Strawberry Hill and like we were listening to like Snoop Dogg talk about like how many women he's boned. But that really is like the golden age of rap, the 90s that like, I mean, album after album and we didn't even skip them. They were so good. We listened to those albums until they fell apart. They were so good. That album, Ready to Die, was the only album that was released in his lifetime. The rest were posthumous, is that what they call it? He died 16 days before his next one. Wow. Life after death, he was dead. <gasps> what a weird title. I didn't know that was the title. That is so cr- I just got goosebumps. That is creepy. Ready to Die, <gasps> Life After Death. That's creepy. Both Biggie and we covered Tupac last week. Extremely talented. Sad. Okay, so I have a couple. Um, September 13th, 1916, Roald Dahl was born. And I wouldn't have actually looked into Roald Dahl had I not seen a Drunk History episode where someone covered him. Do you watch Drunk History? I've watched it. I mean, I haven't seen all of them, but I've definitely seen them. They're hilarious. I kind of love it. So I absolutely love Roald Dahl books. You're a reader. Like I, yeah. And I love how some of them are kind of fucked up. Like the twits is so fucked up and weird. Like I loved it as a kid. I was like, oh my God, she put a freaking eyeball in his drink. Like it's so cool. The witches is him, right? The witches. Yeah. Um, so uh, James and the Giant Peach, Danny Champion of the World, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Of oh, course. yeah, yeah. The, yeah. And then the Twits is like these horrible people and they're I doing don't know them. It's just awesome, but it's so fucked up. Um, oh, and Matilda. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. We just watched that one. He's amazing. I'm talking as like an 80s kid who read Roald Dahl. I don't know if people still do. Well, but. yeah, I'm reading it, but I mean, they remade The Witches. Yeah, they did. And you know, actually, the original movie is fantastic. I still watch the original. It's, it's so it's good. awesome. It's still so good. Marin likes kind of creepy stuff. I tried watching it two years ago. She wasn't ready for it. I think she might be. It's too scary. But we, now she's almost six and she watched it and she totally devoured it. It's so great. I refuse to watch the new one. The 90s movie is a happy ending. The book is not a happy ending. Does it stay a mouse forever? They stay mice. But they live a happy life like his grandma or whatever is taking care of him. I'm actually okay with that alteration. If you actually want kids to see it, it's not the end of the world if you tweak it a smidge. But so anyway, he was born in Wales to Norwegian immigrant parents. His book sold more than 250 million copies worldwide. When he was younger, he flew for the Royal Air Force in World War II as a fighter pilot and then became an intelligence officer for Britain. He was a decorated fighter pilot and he had crash landed at one point and it suffered pretty severe injuries, but recovered from them. However, eventually those injuries caught up to him when he was flying again, he was having problems like severe migraines and stuff like that. So instead he was sent to Washington as a diplomat in 1942. And his assignment as a diplomat and an intelligence officer was to communicate with Churchill's office about FDR's like thinking. So he was kind of like basically the British intelligence officer that was trying to help the Brits keep Americans in the war and involved and like ready and willing to fight, I guess. So basically he was just calling Churchill's office and being like, I was at a cocktail party with so-and-so and and he said that FDR, you know, whatever, but he kind of was spying on the U.S., but it wasn't really bugging at rooms or like carrying an umbrella that was a gun or whatever. You know, it was a different kind of intelligence. So spy really isn't kind of the right word. He'd been in the United States for a while, so he married the actress Patricia Neal. And then his life is kind of action-packed. In 1960, his four-month-old son was severely injured when his baby carriage was hit by a taxi cab. Oh, my God. And the baby suffered from hydrocephalus, you know, like water on the brain. So Roald Dahl reached out to his friend who was a engineer and Dahl, this engineer friend and a neurosurgeon collaborated on inventing a new technology for a shunt, which is those little like tube mechanisms that they use to drain fluid away from the brain. 
the shunt at the time was not cutting it for his son. Wow. Uh, he just made phone calls and like crazy. Can you imagine being that freaking smart? It's also really interesting that he was like, I have an engineer friend. I wonder if he could help. Like, Do I know any neurosurgeons around here? Crazy. His son recovered in time that he actually never got to use this particular shunt, but thousands of children all, all over the world did. I mean, it's, it's legit. It has its own Wikipedia page. It's named after the three guys who invented it and Dahl being one of them. And then his life gets crazier. In 1962, one of his daughters died of measles. She was seven years old. And the measles vaccine became available a year later. How sad is that? That sucks. He's became like a basically an immunization advocate because of this loss. And then Roald Dahl had a parallel career writing. <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> Dark adult short stories. And he was famous for having a twist ending. Huh. He also wrote a couple of screenplays. A Bond film called You Only Live Once. Very famous. And then Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. He wrote the screenplay for I love that uh, movie. Okay. That's got some weird stuff going on in there. Flying car. I mean, come on. It's got some weird characters in there. Okay. <laughs> it's Dick Van Dyke, right? It's Dick Van Dyke yeah. in a flying car. <laughs> and then he hosted and wrote for a sci-fi horror that predated Twilight Zone. No shit. I got to see if I can track this down. It was called Way Out. Hmm. That was in the 60s before the Twilight Zone. So that's pretty cool because I'm a huge Twilight Zone fan. Roald Dahl died in 1990 of a rare blood cancer. And I thought this was so sweet. Children to this day leave toys at his grave. Can I just say that I hate Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Wait, are you saying you hate the old one or like the one with Johnny Depp? All of the above. It is horrifying. I think that's I, why I liked it. It's like fucked up. I mean, I like some fucked up shit, but I'd never like that original movie. Too weird and creepy, like the guy, Willy Wonka. I mean, it was weird and creepy. I mean, the whole like when they're in that tunnel. Is <laughs> oh, that is definitely like <laughs> inspired hard. by like a drug trip. Yeah, that is horrific with the worms and stuff that yeah. they see. It's like flashes to like chickens getting their heads cut off. Yeah. It's so bizarre, but it's like a split second. I don't like the songs in it. I just don't like it at all. I never liked it. I wow. Like it as a kid, I don't like it now. Interesting. I, I had, I I had the same hate for that movie as I do for Grease. I hate Grease. <gasps> I don't think we'd be friends anymore. So you know that I don't like musicals? Daniel's always jokes like, you don't like musicals except for the 18 exceptions you have where you have musicals <laughs> that you love. But like, I don't like those like jazz handy musicals. Like I don't like- um, You're not watching Sweet Charity or whatever. So. I'm thinking of like Andrew Lloyd Webber. I don't like that. Oh, I don't like um, Disney from- Little Mermaid on. Like, I like the old school. Oh, you don't even like like cartoon musicals. I just don't like them. I don't like that weird. If that shit came on the radio you, and you'd never heard it before, you would change the fucking channel. Just cheesy. But I do love Grease. Because I feel like those songs are like fun and catchy. And But I did grow up. There's a nostalgia factor. I did grow up. My favorite movie is a musical. The Wizard of Oz is a musical. That is a musical. I love Mary Poppins. One of my favorite songs of all time is a Mary Poppins. So you can't say that you hate music. Yeah, I know. There's just too many exceptions. I just hate that like Broadway musical. Does that make sense? So you wouldn't you wouldn't go see Phantom of the Opera or anything? No, my God, I hate them. I've actually heard the music and I don't like it. This is going to be the unpopular opinion episode because that's that like I'm a weird. I acknowledge that I'm a weirdo. People think I'm crazy. No, because there's there's certain musicals that I I saw Phantom of the Opera. I I could live the rest of my life never having seen that. And, and that's not, Andrew Lloyd Webber, right? I think. Yeah. Like my mother like would buy like the soundtrack to like Wicked or something and listen to that in her car. Like that is, I would never, first of all, I didn't, I didn't like, I don't like the songs and that, but. My problems with Wicked are actually not even just the music. Cause I just. It's nothing like the book. Like this, let's, let's flesh out the villains and make them better than they are. Like she was going to kill a puppy. Like she's done. Same with Cruella. That's how I 
feel about Corolla? Why would they make that movie? Psychopaths skin puppies and wear Why them. Why would they make that movie? Don't make her likable. Yeah, I just, Willy Wonka, I just don't, and Grease. That's interesting. I think there's just two. You're definitely in the minority about Greece because I think Greece is extremely popular. Willy Wonka has probably has a lot of people who are uncomfortable by it. And I think it might just be, I was saturated by Greece, like growing up, like hearing that stuff. I had friends who loved everywhere. that Everywhere. I'm just it was so everywhere. Sick, sick of that music. Like they played, that was the play that my dad used to do the sets for the high school. Yes. And then he, they did Greece one and we had to go every night to that fucking show. I believe it. Then we'd have to go to the snack stand with my dad because he did. He ran the snack stand at intermission too. We had to put the freaking frozen pretzels into the thing and make. So the this is a little more comp. Your hair is a little more complicated <laughs> than I thought. It's not just about pure. No, I, yeah, yeah, I just. I, I think I was just overexposed to it. I just. It's also it filthy. I mean, I. That's. Oh part well, of yeah. What are these kids? singing about like little kids singing about like, uh, grease lightning is filthy did you also yeah. we've had this conversation before about like um like how fucked up they were marketed to children 80s movies and 70s movies that were like absolutely terrible like um pete's dragon i mean the opening oh. scene is those like hillbillies after Petey. Yeah. Oh my God. And they're like inbred or something like they're so weird oh. and dirty. Why are they so dirty? Oh, it's so horrifying. Twisted. Yeah, and Watcher in the Woods. Yes, I love that movie. Oh my, I watched that thing until the- But that was terrifying and twisted too. Terrible. That was a great movie. That because Jake bought me that movie when we were first dating and they had the alternate ending. Yeah, that that ending has got to go. I wish I I could unsee that ending. I just want the one that, the normal ending. I don't need an an alien spaceship, spoiler alert. Hashtag spo- right. Are we supposed to say spa- pound instead of hashtag because because our podcast is old school? Um, it's like she's on a spaceship. <laughs> Please don't say pound. <laughs> That's right. Karen did go into a spaceship. Yeah, uh, come on. I mean, leave well enough alone. So this is the weirdest fucking thing I've ever read. September thirteenth, nineteen twenty-two. The Straw Hat Riot begins in New York City. Did you see that? Oh, I did not see that. Some background from the 1890s to the 1920s, it was fashionable for men in the summertime to wear straw boaters. So those are those, they're actually kind of back in style for women. They're like, they're kind of what like a, those like Italian guys wear, but they're called boaters and they're, they were always straw. So people would wear them in the summertime because it was hot as balls. They didn't have air conditioning. So it was like an, you know, everybody had to wear a hat for some bizarre reason. So they wore straw boaters. But there was an unwritten rule that you had to switch back to your felt hat by September 15th. Like wearing white after a... <laughs> right. Let's say you were a man and you're wearing your straw boater and it was like September 15th or 16th. It wasn't uncommon for your friends to like bust your chops and knock it off your head or whatever. But strangers only like silently judged you. But basically in 1922, like a bunch of teenagers decided they were going to start knocking straw boaters off of unsuspecting pedestrians' heads a few days early. This was three days ahead of the 15th. It was on the 12th. It was like the first flash mob. Yeah. If anything that I learned from the story is that teenagers throughout history have been a nightmare. I say this as a teenager who was a fucking nightmare. So basically it started as like a group of teens started knocking straw boaters off people's heads in New York City. And then they would stomp them. So they had, they'd knock the hats off the ground and they would stomp them because, you know, it's not enough to just knock it off the ground. And then in 1922, it evolved from friends doing this to this roving teens. And I guess teens all over the city started to pick up on this and were like, this is great. Let's go raise hell by knocking these hats off people's heads. So it got so bad that there was a brawl because they targeted, I guess, a group of dock workers who were walking to work across the Manhattan Bridge, started knocking their straw hats off. I guess don't fuck with dock workers because they started swinging and it became this huge fight on this bridge. And it was so bad, it shut down traffic on the Manhattan Bridge. 
the police had to be called. And even though they broke up that brawl, it went on into the night, targeting pedestrians all over the city. Did anybody die? No one died. One man was hospitalized because if you try to hold your hat on your head and like, leave me the fuck alone, you little shit. How many hats were lost? I think teens were really bored at this time. You know, this is the time when like Halloween meant like burning things in the town square. I mean, it was a weird time for like hooliganism and stuff. But one victim claimed that there were a th- it was a group of a thousand teens walking down the street, Amsterdam Avenue, which is now known as 10th Avenue. But there were a couple of hospitalizations. And finally, this riot was quelled eventually a few days later. But it never, this kind of hat stomping thing kept going on for a couple of years. And in 1924, a man was murdered during a scuffle because he didn't want to give up his hat. And like they beat the shit out of him. Little psychos. But in 1925, President Coolidge broke the tradition and wore a straw boater out in a public event and kind of shut everybody up. Everybody was like, just let people do what they want to do. But by the 1930s, instead of straw boaters, they were wearing uh, Panama hats or whatever in the summer. So it was fine. Basically, on the face of it, it just sounds like mass idiocy. But I think it, and it is mass idiocy, but it's also just like teenagers will look for any excuse to raise hell, right? Remember in, I don't think it was when you were still in Philly, but you couldn't even like get on a speed line because of flash mobs. Like people were just getting like... (laughs) It's the dumbest thing ever. Oh my God. Like, because they're shooting texts, like, we'll meet at 8th and Market at 3 p.m. And then, like, it's like a flash mob and people are getting, like, assaulted. That's so There annoying. was, like, roving teens, gangs of teens just showing up at different locations. What were they doing? Like, what was the plan? <laughs> they were dancing. You know those they flash like, mob dances? I know. They did, like, the- there are those, but no, they weren't doing that. They were, like, fighting. So it's basically the same thing, but without the internet. And it wasn't West Side Story. It'd be, like, adorable. No, no. no, no <laughs> I wouldn't be complaining now. I mean, they were performing. Andrew, Andrew Lloyd Webber. That's worse. That's worse. Andrew Lloyd Webber songs. Go ahead, smash my hat, but do not perform an Andrew Lloyd Webber song. Whatever, Whatever you, do. you do, put those jazz hands away. No, it was violence. So that was the fucking straw hat riots. I mean, of all the weirdest wow. things in history, 1922, September 13th. You always bring the fun facts. Also, 1925, Mel Torme was born. Was a very talented singer. His nickname was the Velvet Fog, which is like the coolest nickname in the world. <laughs> So 1984 was the first MTV Video Music Awards. Cool. Who won? The Cars won for You Might Think, and David Bowie won for China Girl. Oh, I love that song. I love that whole album. When did that come out? 1984 and 83. So I'm like, you know, six. Yeah. But I remember like that album. It was everywhere. It was the Let's Dance album and like putting on my red jellies and dancing on the front porch to that album. Well, you put on your red shoes and dance the blues. You told you to do that. So you're just following instructions. I love jellies too. I love those red jellies up into the moment we went to the fireworks on the 4th of July. And I don't know what I was doing. I was just taking a walk. <gasps> but we were so close, the gunpowder was falling on us and it went into my eyeballs. Oh. And I fell into the creek and I lost one of my I red jellies. You say your jellies melted from the heat. <laughs> <laughs> no. You fell but into I the fell creek? Into, I fell into the creek. I kind of like slid into it. Someone pulled me out. Not like I wasn't like drowning, but I was all scraped up. And I remember looking over like my dad's shoulder and my red, my one red jelly was like floating in the creek. Oh, that's how I lost my glow worm. Well, I didn't really lose him, uh, but he, his glow died. <laughs> I dropped him <laughs> in like the harbor at uh, in Newport Beach. And I was like, my glow worm. 
<laughs> and he got it. I was like, Jesus Christ. He had to get on like his belly and reach down and grab it. And it never glowed again. I always wanted a glow room. I never had one. I had the one that everyone had, the one that with the hat, the sleepy hat on it. Yeah. It so and you loved it so much. Like you took it out of the house. That's yeah, cute. I did. I loved it. But it, it stopped glowing. You had to like sit on it to glow after that, after it got wet. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of pressure such a bummer <laughs> <laughs> but then yeah so they still have that stupid show comes on still like the v- video music awards just on the other night yeah I don't know one i don't know one fucking person in that show no do they even have videos anymore boy like, we sound nothing, old but nothing even plays on and mtv's not even video they don't even show actual videos oh but madonna was on there and did you see her so she's like what 60 now yeah i think so but she's still dressing like you know feels pressure to maintain the same look or whatever it's fine that's what she's always been about and everything but it's sad thing is if she were dude she could just look however she wanted to google her when you get off this thing i remember when i was in college i went to a halloween party and there was a group of girls that went as like every madonna it was great (laughs) that was so clever someone was a cone bra like you know it was great they were all the madonnas (laughs) good for her well i have for september 14th golden girls debuts 1985. i saw that yeah that still holds up yeah absolutely holds up still hilarious and uh, it ran for seven seasons i'm a huge fan tv guide ranked it number 54 on 60 best series of all time which i think is pretty impressive i don't know if you have you ever seen the pilot the golden girls pilot i'm sure i have pilots are always weird but like how they all ended up there sophia wasn't around she she stops by but the the main like there was a cook named coco and he was kind of a flamboyant gay stereotype, basically. Yes, I know you talk about. Mm-hmm. But they decided that I, I, he was fine. He was funny. He was funny enough for me. But I actually thought this was interesting that the writers decided that since they were going to have a lot of kitchen interactions, like a lot of they were going to be sitting at their kitchen table a lot, they didn't want a cook because that's where the cook would be, right, in the kitchen. They didn't want him to be distracting from the friendship, which was ultimately always the focus of the show, was that these, these women are friends. And then Sophia who was supposed to be a, a recurring guest star, but she was so well-received after the pilot. They were like, okay, we're going to get rid of the cook and we're going to keep Sophia. So that's what they did. They wrote, they- And she's the youngest one playing the oldest character. Yeah, but, well, or at least she was close in age. Yeah, and they, they had to put makeup on her or whatever to make her like an old lady. I think that representation in TV took a dip. Like, I actually think it was better in the 70s and 80s than it was in like up to like the early 2000s because like can you imagine a show today starring four older than 50 women there's no way right they were they were in their 50s when it started right they it wasn't 50s today like they looked older i think younger people today don't understand that like 50 years in the 80s was an older age than it yeah they look like they look like grandmas yeah yeah they look like grandmas and um the fact that they were sexually active and vibrant and had jobs and you know whatever is very progressive and obviously the subject matter i mean first of all Blanche's brother comes out so that alone and then gay marriage aids there's all kinds of because all the actors themselves were very progressive and they wanted they wanted to cover Mm -hmm. this stuff but then the writers want you know were okay with it too because they wrote these episodes and they were fantastic but the ideas for idea for the comedy series about older women emerged from the filming of a television special in August 1984 to introduce two actresses, Selma Diamond from Night Court and Doris Roberts from Remington Steel. They performed a skit to promote Miami Vice, but the theme of the, the title of the skit was Miami Nice, because, you know, the other side of Miami, you know, there's like a drug culture. Wasn't that a Golden Girls episode, though, when she's doing Miami is nice? Yes. 
So I'll say it twice. <laughs> Maybe they're like quietly referencing that, but like it was like the other side of Miami, Florida, right? It was like old people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's like a drug culture here, but there's also these old ladies. So that's where it started. Like old ladies living in Miami. Jake loves that show. I'll catch him watching Golden Girls all the time. 11 Emmys nominated 58 times. It's impressive. I got something for the 15th. Agatha Christie's born. She was born September 15th, 1890. Have you ever read Agatha Christie books? I think I read like 10 Little Indians. I read that one, I think, before. Isn't that one of them? Yep. And uh, I read um, A Mysterious Affair at Styles. I think I the only one I read. And I was in like grade school or okay. middle school when I read 10 Little Indians. I wasn't an adult. But, you know, I've seen like the movies and stuff. That yeah, I- the movies are great. I actually love the 80s movies about the, or was it 70s? I guess 70s, it was 70s. Yeah. <laughs> Death on the Nile was my favorite. And I also loved um, Murder on the Orient Express. And I love the new one too. I actually, I'm looking forward to the, the new Death on the Nile. We watched, I think it was Agatha Christie, some piece of shit. Sybil Shepherd, The Lady Vanishes. Actually, The Lady Vanishes is a great Hitchcock movie. And I don't think it was written by Christie. The Lady Vanishes is based on the 1936 novel, The Wheel Spins by Ethel Lena White, who I've never heard of. But it's, that's a great movie, that old one. This lady gets on a train, falls asleep, and when she wakes up, all those people who were sitting in that train car, they all deny that this lady existed. It becomes about like proving her sanity, this, this young uh-huh. woman. Yeah, so it's not Agatha Christie, but still a great movie. Great well, don't, don't watch the Sybil Shepherd one. Okay, well... I could have guessed that, but (laughs) (laughs) no offense to Sybil Shepard. And then September 15th, 1981, Sandra Day O'Connor, first woman approved to the Supreme Court. Born in 1930 in Texas, she was admitted to Stanford at 16, graduated Stanford Law in 1950, and served as um, state senator for Arizona and was eventually appointed to the Arizona Supreme Court of Appeals. And I didn't know that she was a conservative justice. She did, however, usually vote in line with like women's rights and gender equality which is cool. But yeah, anyway, so that's September 15th, 1981, Sandra Day O'Connor, first woman on the Supreme Court. Oh, September 15th, 1995, seven premieres. That was fucked up. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. It's in the box. It's just crazy. Kevin Spacey, piece of garbage. I know. It's (laughs) it's weird, right? It's like kind of hard to watch old movies with him. I mean, I have no problem listening to Michael Jackson's songs, but I don't want to watch a Kevin Spacey movie. Yeah. Yeah, Because he's just, ugh. The one that really wigs me out is American Beauty because he kind of is a lecher in the movie. Mm -hmm. So it's a little weird. Yeah. And he's... He was in a lot of good movies. Oh, my God. Yeah. September 16, 1952, Mickey Rourke is born. He made a big comeback in the 2000s. Did you watch that movie, The Wrestler? Mm-hmm. It was, it was really good. good. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. really sad. Really he good. was really good in that. Marissa Tomei. Yeah. She's still a piece of ass, isn't she? She is. She's hot and she's awesome. She's so talented. So September 16, 1993. So this is really is Emily's Unpopular Opinion episode because <laughs> Frasier premieres. I fucking hate Frasier. Like, really? I hate I it. It's funny. Everyone loves it. I realize I'm a weirdo. Don't like skip this podcast because you love Frasier, but I just never understood it. Are they British, these two brothers? But then they had this dad with like a Brooklyn accent. I don't understand. So <laughs> are they British? Why are they like British dandies, but they're like America? I don't know. I just can't. I just, it drives me crazy. So you weren't a fan of Frasier in Cheers either? I didn't actually watch that much Cheers. Oh man. That still holds up though. Yeah. yeah. But don't, don't you remember the reruns? Like that's, that's how, true. I, yeah. that's how yeah. I saw them all was just reruns, but I always loved like Rebecca Cheers, not Diane Cheers. She like, is Rebecca. Kier- Kirstie, Kirstie, Kirstie Alley. Alley's Rebecca. We just watched Look Who's Talking the other night and I'm like, she was great. Yeah, she was. And now she's like a Scientology loon, but. Um, <laughs> 
she was pretty funny. Oh, she's so funny in Cheers. You guys should rewatch that. Yeah, we should try it out. Kirstie Alley was in this cool, like, made-for-TV movie where about this famous journalist who went undercover as a Playboy bunny. It was kind of interesting. She was smoking mm-hmm. hot, by the way. This was, like, in mm-hmm. the early 80s. She was beautiful. Anyway, Frasier ran for 11 seasons and won 37 Emmys. So obviously I'm a weirdo. They broke the record. That was Mary Tyler Moore show held that record and, and oh, wow. uh, Frasier broke it. And then eventually Frasier's record was broken by Game of Thrones. So No shit. Game of Thrones? I don't know how many, but it was over 37 Emmys. Which is actually pretty impressive for Game of Thrones because Game of Thrones was not 11 seasons. Well, they probably won Emmys for like costumes and shit yeah like wasn't the set and the yeah. effects were really good yeah. I never, I never yeah. saw it but yeah that kind of stuff yeah September 17th I don't have that much but 1933 Fred Willard was born I love Fred Willard mm-hmm. have you seen that show I think you should leave <laughs> yeah, I think you no. might like it it's a weird comedy show starring uh Tim Robinson he's the comic who's like best friends with Tim Sam Robinson. Richardson the guy from Veep who's hysterical I just love Fred Willard from like Best in Show and Waiting for Guffman. I think you should leave it as a skit comedy show. But there's a hysterical episode where a skit where Fred Willard guest stars and he's playing like one of those like cartoon pianos where it has the like you pull the thing and it goes woo like it has like the funny noises like the honking like the duck honking and like those weird sound effects. But he's playing at a funeral, <laughs> so everyone is just staring at him like what the fuck. And it's really, it. it's really funny. You've seen like what Waiting for Guffman and all those movies, right? You know, again, this is going to be unpopular opinion episode. I don't like those movies. I don't love all of those Christopher Guest movies, but I love Waiting for Guffman and I love Best in Show. I know I'm a weirdo, but hey, you don't like Grease, so. I know, that's true. But I was, that, that's, I think that's trauma. Not yeah, like... that is. That's like you suffer from Grease PTSD. <laughs> so we're still on September 17th. Oh, Vanessa Williams was the first African-American Miss America. She was crowned. I had Fleetwood Max rumors. Yes, 1977. 1977. Yes, because that was. 84 was when Vanessa Williams was crowned. When did she lose her crown? Oh, that's right. It was pulled, right? Uh-huh. She resigned in July 84. Man, that's fucked up. First African-American to win, and then she had to resign for some stupid bullshit because she did a penthouse spread. Lame. So September 17th, Fleetwood Mac in 1977 is listed because it was number one for the 19th straight week, which I didn't know Rumors was their 11th studio album. But it was a, probably their biggest hit, right? It was their first number one. And they had all those amazing singles on Every there. major hit is on the that album. album. It's like perfect. Even my favorite secondhand news, which is kind of like a weird, quirky song, but I love it. I don't love Don't Stop, but everything else. It's on a little overplayed or whatever, but so many others though. Yeah, it's great. It's a great album. I could just couldn't believe they had 11 albums before they actually yeah. did that one. Well, they were too busy having sex with each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Like> there's always <laughs> some kind of skin. Yeah, drugs and sex, they're past, they're swapping each other. And it was like, so-and-so's in love with so-and-so. It's exhausting. September 18th, did you have anything for that? 1987 Fatal Attraction came out. What do you think about that movie? Do you like that one? Do you hate it? What? I like that movie. I like that she's fucked up and she's an asshole, but so is he's an asshole too. I'm not exactly rooting for him. The people I feel bad for in that movie are his wife and kid. Oh God, yeah. He's a di- he was a dick in it. Oh, he's terrible. Yeah. And she was a lunatic, but... Oh, totally. They knew they had like a whole alternate ending and then they had to reshoot it because the audience hated it. Oh, what was the alternate ending? She frames him for her murder. She <gasps> goes to the house and plants his fingerprints all over the place and then kills her in his house and oh my god we just circled back that's like the gene tierney movie leave her to heaven and he gets arrested and framed for her murder wow they showed it 
and people hated it because they, really they, they wanted her to die. So then they changed it to the wife, you know, shooting her. So it's kind of like the American family wins, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And also the wife, it's almost like her taking her man back kind of, right? Like she shoots yeah. the mistress. But Glenn Close was like furious. Like she was so upset because she put so much of her time and researched this character and wanted her to be this like, you know, mentally unstable woman and that she wasn't a sociopath. She just right. literally was just sick. And, you know, she had this, she honestly thought that he was in love with her. Right. And she, she was pregnant. Was, Everybody seems to forget yeah, that. She's yeah, pregnant. right. And then she was pissed. And then, um, you know, in retrospect now, years later, she has been interviews and said that she agrees with the ending and, you know, it makes sense. You know, they wanted to see blood at the end. And, and you know, I mean, American audiences historically don't handle well when it's like not a happy ending. Yeah, right. I just feel yeah, like so. people get pissed off. What's the Stephen King movie about the fog? The Mist. Remember that ending? Hmm, that's a doozy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So fucked up. I remember yeah. my, <laughs> my older sister saw it and she was incredulous. What? Is this a foreign? She was like, is this a foreign film? She said like, (laughs) (laughs) that can be the only explanation for this. This is unacceptable. This ending. Cause that ending was so fucked up, but like, I'm not surprised they wanted, they want meat in the seats. They don't want people pissed off about how it ends. Yeah. Those weird sex scenes. I don't know if it was that believable that Glenn Close would bag. Every time I see Michael Douglas in anything now, I just think about him having throat cancer because of all the women he slept with because he said he got it from HPV in his throat. Of course, he probably (laughs) only got it from one of them, right? Who knows? I still love that movie. What year was that? 80? 87. That was a big deal when that came out. That movie was a big deal. And then Glenn Close did say too that like men had like come up to her and been like, you saved my marriage. Like after watching that movie, they're like- yeah, like, you know, I guess they either were thinking about cheating or they stopped cheating because they oh. saw that movie. Yeah, yeah, they're afraid they were ter- of like- terrified of having that kind of liaison. Interesting. The only thing I have is um, September 18th, 1951, the release of A Streetcar Named Desire, starring Vivian Lee and Marlon Brando. It was based on the Tennessee Williams play, and it was directed by Elliot Kazan. I'm a big fan of Elliot Kazan. But I didn't know that the movie was changed from the play because of controversial parts that were in the play. So like rape or something in the play? Or- so in the play, Blanche Dubois' husband is caught having a, a homosexual affair. And the trauma of being found out, he kills himself. And in the movie, when I saw it, I was young, too young to like read between the lines. But they said Blanche is accused of driving her husband to kill himself by showing him scorn at his sensitive nature. Like that's kind of the subtle, I guess, read between the lines thing. Apparently there was a director's cut released in the 90s. I don't think there's a cut of that. Like that's how that was presented. But there is other stuff that was considered too sexual or too violent and they cut it. The censors cut it. So there is a director's cut that has a little more to it. But mm. I thought it was great. I've only seen it once and I don't know. I'll watch him take his shirt off any day of the week. Marlon Brando was a very attractive young man. Oh my God. But he aged into a big pile of Yeah. He jelly. got very like bloated. I don't know what happened there. One of my favorite movies is On the Waterfront and he is a dreamboat in it oh my god he's so like so handsome i feel like they don't make him like that anymore like no that's a perfect movie like but men in general back then oh (laughs) they don't make men like that anymore Paul Newman. Oh my God. Beautiful man. I I rewatched Cat on a Hot Tin Roof and like he's amazing. Like his face is just beautiful. Yeah. He's very, very handsome. Gary Cooper. Have you ever looked up old pictures of Gary Cooper? Very yeah, handsome. he would be handsome he today handsome. too. Yeah, a lot of them have those weird like bodies where they working out was like a, a swift walk down the block, so they have like weird no muscle tone. Like, 
you know, like concave chests and like (laughs) haunches, but they're supposed to be like dashing and their pants are like way up to like above their belly button. Yeah, and then 1998, Rush Hour is released in America, introducing America to Jackie Chan. You didn't do a deep dive on Jackie Chan. I did Chan not do a deep dive on Jackie Chan. Thank you. Apologies. <laughs> but, yeah. So, you have a new segment you'd like to add to our format. I'm sorry, by the way, it got dark during our episode, so I look like a, a pervert on this video, this camera right now. Like, got all, it's all dark around me. It's just my creepy face is lit. So Lauren has an idea for a segment to add to our format that talks about like some current events that are, that are current. Yeah. That are happening that are kind of crazy. So I don't know. I just am like fascinated by true crime, true crime. It's always the same story with the missing wife. And what's this young woman's name? So the current missing wife or girlfriend or woman is Gabby Petito. And she's from Long Island, right? Originally. She was on like some kind of cross country trip with her boyfriend. She's only 22, which is yeah, so sad, really but she was like living with him, I think. So her family reports are missing, I think on September 11th. She's like an influencer. So she posts like her entire life. On she has Instagram. like a YouTube channel. So everything's posted. So she kind of falls off the grid and the family was like, well, you know, she goes a couple of days or we don't hear from her, but then she always checks in. So I think it went like two weeks they hadn't heard from her. So then they say that she's missing. The boyfriend clammed up, wasn't talking to police, which if that isn't a red flag. I don't know what is a red flag. He came back on September 1st. He's not even talking to his family. His sister finally put out a statement and was like, he's not telling us anything either. Like we don't. Wow. But then like, I think he's home with his parents. He's got a lawyer, but he's literally not helping at all. But then they just released his police cam videos because they got in some kind of altercation in like August. Like domestic dispute kind of thing. And she's crying and she's saying that she, you know, her mental health is not right. Stuck in a van for so long. And then they got in this fight where he like locked her out of the van and he had scratches on his face and stuff. So it's just, I mean, you know how it's going to end. It's just so sad. But I, once a year, twice a year, it's always this, you know, crazy white dude who killed his significant other. But that's, that's really the ones we, that are covered by national media. Like women of color aren't really covered enough. Not major news. You know, usually these pieces of shit come out with a story, like some kind of. They're on the news, like crying for them to come back or something. Exactly. He's not saying anything. I mean, that's kind of a red flag. I don't know how it could end any other way. I hope. Statistically speaking. Yeah. It's usually the significant other. Is there anything else? That's the only thing that I've been keep seeing on the news. Who knows? Next week, there's probably going to be some more developments with this one. Yeah, probably. So he came home on September 1st. I did read that her family got a text from her phone saying oh. no service in Yosemite or something like that. It could that. be fake though, right? Yeah. That's what they're saying. They're like, did she probably didn't even send that text. Oh my God. Messed up. But we'll see how that one shakes out. Yeah. This case will probably be ongoing. All right. Now we have to do the rec room. Do you have any new recommendations? We still love, we love Breaking Bad. So how far are you into it now? We're season four now. We're really binging it, so we're motoring through, but... My rec rooms haven't changed. We're still plugging through the same shows. I don't love Nine Perfect Strangers. I kind of stopped that. I think I'm, we, we probably should just switch to White Lotus. That's what we talked about last week. Yeah, I don't have much in the rec room area. Sorry to both our listeners. I don't have much in the rec room area. So you should just read the Roald Dahl um, short stories that he wrote for adults. I don't know if adult means like sexy adult or if adult just means like it's not for kids. It's like got crime in it or something, you know? I'll look them up, especially if they're short stories. That's what I can handle about now. Okay. Judy Bloom, you know, Freckle Juice, she wrote all manner of books. I don't think a lot of people know that. She wrote like adult fiction. Like, didn't she write Summer Sisters? And then she also wrote like dirty, dirty books. And I lent one to you called Wifey. Do you remember when I lent that to you? Judy Bloom's Wifey? I do remember that. Late 60s, but it's filthy. Wait, 
I read it, right? You motored through it because you're a machine when you read. Well, back in those days, I was reading like three books a week, so I didn't retain anything. So wait. The author of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, wrote a filthy wait, book. Wait, I'm going to look it up and read the synopsis. I don't even know what it's about. It's divorces and they have a lot of sex. It's absolutely filthy, but I think it's so funny that she wrote adult books. It's like if Roald Dahl did this, I'm going to be fascinated, but I, I need to look it up. All right. So I'll promise to bring more to the record next week because maybe I'll have like a free time in my life to not be quarantined in a house. Okay. All right. Well, it was good to see you. Good to see you. That's the best part about this is getting yeah. to see him catch up. Zoom happy hour with an old friend. We should do um, Golden Monkey next time. We have to fill everyone in on that story. My sister's eyes twitching right now. And my husband's nipples are burning. <laughs> <laughs> oh All right, my we'll God. That's quite a cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have a good uh, weekend. And you I'll too. You too. Weekend.